Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb, and we must not allow a mine shaft gap. My name's Stephanie, and if you don't get the President of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. Justin's not here, Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a... Oof, the, 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 the tonal yeah. shift there was as drastic as the tonal shift in Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> Actually, no, not Doctor... What? Both of the movies. Yeah. Both of the movies had severe fun. tonal whiplash. I, I love that Justin has the, a recurring trend of like <laughs> just coming in with something completely different to what each of us are doing. <laughs> this has happened multiple times. He likes to shake it up a little. Someone's gotta. <laughs> All right, here's the deal, Sparky. Now, what's that actually from? What's, what's that actually it's from, from Aladdin? It's when the genie no, is doing his Jack Nicholson I know, but I figured he was doing a reference. Like, I know he was doing an impression, but I figured the impression was also a reference to a real Jack Nicholson line. As far as I'm aware, it was an ad lib, but I have not seen all of Jack Nicholson's filmography. I've seen very like, little of it. I, I don't think it's from uh, A Few Good Men or... <laughs> I, um, I, okay, I actually do want to see that you one. You can't handle the truth, Sparky. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so oh this week, <laughs> just we're off to this a good week. Yeah. Yes, this week we're um we're discussing Stanley Kubrick. We are. Uh, <laughs> it and, feels and, kind of like yes, <laughs> we we little '90s babies who like to talk about. Fun action movies from our childhood are now going to be tackling Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Well, I mean, you know, these are two of his more accessible. Well, Doctor Strange Love is actually one of my favorite movies. It's literally listed in my fave four on Letterboxd. Yeah. Ooh. No. Which is funny, given Caleb's hardly a Kubrick man. No, I am not. What, and this one does kind of uh, stand out uniquely uh, in his filmography. Um, saying that, like, I'm someone who's seen all of it. I have seen, I think, yes. I counted five of his films. I've seen four. Um, I've now seen two. <laughs> all right, well, well now I'll, I'll I've seen bits table. and pieces of 2001 and A Clockwork Orange. Um, not, neither of them convinced me to sit down and watch any more. <laughs> Um, yeah, let's actually go ahead and, and say the Kubrick movies we have seen just at and the And our outset. experience with... Yeah, just the... to, like, put the cards on the table and, like, be honest about how, how experienced we are with this filmmaker uh, we're going to be talking okay. about. So I've seen... This is my third time seeing Dr. Strangelove and my first time seeing The Shining, and that is it. The, these are the only two you've seen. These are the only two I've seen in their entirety. Um, I have seen The Shining, Dr. Strangelove... 2001 A Space Odyssey and Eyes Wide Shut and that's it um I started watching I have started watching both Lolita and A Clockwork Orange 
Um, with Lolita, I got really bored and watched the 90s version instead. I don't really know how they hold up against each other. Uh, you know, it's not exactly a fun watch anyway, so it's not like I'm in a like super hurry to watch the Kubrick version, but I, I'm sure I will at some point. Um, with A Clockwork Orange, I also started watching that. And I was like, um, this is harshing my vibe a lot. Um, I don't I, want to continue watching this I right now. I think I had the same experience with The Clockwork Orange. And it was at a friend's house that who was the that was the first time I saw Frozen was at their house. And I don't know if it was the same night or not. <laughs> but there's, there's, a decent chance, there's a decent chance that I said, I don't think I can handle this. And they were like, have you seen Frozen? I said, no. And they put it on. <laughs> Like this man can't handle a clockwork orange. I bet he can handle frozen. Justin, that is a double feature that gives you like that feeling in your stomach when you're about to like fall on a roller coaster. (laughs) God, Jesus Christ! Uh, Uh, I have seen all of the ones Stephanie has seen, plus Barry Lyndon. Oh, Um, I barely remember Barry Lyndon. I was hungover as shit in an early morning film class. Okay. I actually don't even know what Barry Lyndon's about. Isn't it about a little boy who likes to dance? Oh, that's not what I expected. Couldn't but, tell. Right. <laughs> I, I Justin know. couldn't even tell. Oh my god, so have you really seen it, Justin, if you can't even tell us anything about it? Come on, that's like my mom saying, I, I, the, my first movie that I saw in theaters was Angels in the Outfield, but I was literally two weeks old when she took me to see it. So, so maybe it doesn't count. If I don't remember, it doesn't count. That's yeah. Ergo, you have not seen Barry Lyndon. That's fine. <laughs> well, so, okay, let's let's... Go ahead and, like, what would you say is your favorite Kubrick movie? With Caleb, it has to be one of the ones Given the choice between here. the two of them, <laughs> I'd take the crazy German scientist. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to the crazy hotel groundskeeper. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm with, with Caleb. Uh, Dr. Strangelove is my favorite. Um, not that I don't absolutely love other Kubrick movies. Uh, it's just this one is so... The joke writing, the satire, mm. everything yeah. is just so good. Um, well, it's like, it's a comedy in like a lot of Kubrick movies, mm-hmm. interestingly. Yeah. Stephanie, your favorite before oh, we dive into Shut, Doctor Strange. definitely. Um, eyes Wide Shut. I also really, I don't know, liked seems like a funny word to use for it. I liked 2001 A Space Odyssey in that I found it interesting if a little slow and inaccessible but you know it it's kind of out there um but it's also i don't know i'm, I'm not even gonna try to talk about it because i'm gonna sound like an idiot because i don't really understand it but i i vibed <laughs> with it if that makes sense um god so look not all of us are dan olsen <laughs> That's, That's true. Okay. I, I think we'll get, I'll get more into it when we talk about The Shining, because uh, my feelings on The Shining are complicated. Um, yeah, one or two. And so we'll talk, I'll, I'll talk more about my my opinions on uh, Kubrick and what he does in films like The Shining and 2001 A Space Odyssey and why I think it's beautiful and it works, but also mm-hmm. why it never seems to be anyone's go-to rewatch movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay yeah Yeah. in contrast this film is a go-to rewatch movie (laughs) right counterpoint let's discuss dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb (laughs) what a a subtitle all right 
I don't know the, the first... history. I'm sorry. I don't know the history of the name. I'm wondering if How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb was like what he was shopping around in a studio was like, you've got to call it something else. And so he went with like the weird Nazi scientist who has like six lines. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, barely in the movie. That, and the fact that that title gives you absolutely no indication mm. of what the movie's about. Yep. I mean, so does like, A Clockwork it. Orange and, you know, any movie named after a person. Yeah. But... But yeah, um, I mean. so the first time I watched this movie was on a uh, road trip to Orlando with Stephanie and her brother, and I was like stuck in the back seat, um, <laughs> and I don't know. They were talking about stuff, and I, I don't know. I think he had the music really uh, like obnoxiously loud, so I put my Probably. headphones in, and I was like, I might as well watch something. And I checked Hulu, and it was like Doctor Strange Love leaving soon. I was like, all right, and I was like. This is amazing. I love this. Why, why didn't I watch this sooner? I actually, I actually like Kubrick. What's happening? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> what a revelation for you, Stephanie. Um. Yeah. I I had not seen this movie until after Caleb's recommendation. Until I made you watch it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I was like, well, okay. At this point, I have seen three other Kubrick movies. This is the most recent one that I've seen for the first time. Um, and so I was like, sure, I'll watch it, even though I know absolutely nothing about it. And the first time, I was not the biggest fan. She was, I was not like, impressed. I don't really get this. And also, <laughs> I hate movies about, like, nuclear war and, like, uh, like nuclear holocaust and all of that. Like, the end of the world gives, like, the, just movies about that kind of thing gives me the most massive fucking anxiety. Living through the Cold War must have been hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, most media from the time period does not give that away. Some does. This movie does. But most of it is, like, just trying to ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, I I generally avoid movies about that kind of subject matter because it... it even if the movie is not, like, that dark of a movie, like, Dr. Strangelove, you know, you could argue is not really a dark movie. It's, like, pretty quippy and, like, not taking itself seriously. But even so, just, like, the subject matter alone, I hate thinking about it. It freaks me out, like, to no end. So I was kind of, like, I think in my mind the dissonance of those things was not working for me. I was, like, I, I get that it's supposed to be funny and, like, you know, like weird and whatever, but also like I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just nervous the whole time. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> no, I I absolutely agree with you. Uh, uh, for me, when when uh, letting these movies marinate my brain, Doctor Strangelove definitely disturbs me more than The Shining does. Yeah, uh, but I I think that really that plays into why the satire of this movie works so well is it is like mm -hmm. it is not shying away from like yeah a lot of people are about to die and that's the end of the movie is literally everyone dies spoiler but it just god it's so well done great satire I think it was Bread Sword the YouTuber who made. Uh, a video about Dr. Strangelove. Um, and he noted that one of the um, strong, like, the, the, one of the, like, the thing about Dr. Strangelove is that it's a comedy that is not shot like a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's right. He scary uh, Kubrick shoots it like any other any other movie. There's there's a lot of points um, where like someone will deliver a hilarious line, and in an actual in a normal comedy, there probably would have been like a reaction shot from another character. Yeah. But instead, it's just a hard cut to somewhere else. Yeah. You know, it's it's odd, but it it, it works. Like the camera doesn't react. Right. Uh, The other characters don't react. Uh, Someone says something and then we just move right on. And that that's what you you really have to pay close attention to this movie. You can't like half watch this movie um, because the, the comedy is in the details. And I think I paid closer attention this time. Not that I wasn't paying last attention last time, but I wasn't paying as close attention and i think that probably is why i appreciated it more this time i i was following the plot a little more though i gotta say the plot is difficult to follow at times because it's very military-ish like it's like they're talking about all this stuff that like and talking about it very quickly and saying a lot of things i'm like i okay i did notice that that there like there's a lot of jargon thrown around but i did also notice that almost every time that happens, there is a scene several minutes later explaining what was discussed earlier. Well, I guess I'm just dumb. Um, I'm not, but, sa- I'm not yes, saying you're dumb. It, it was a little difficult for me to understand um, what was going on at times. No, but. obviously. I, I completely agree with you. I was just saying it was something I noticed that like there is this pr- there is one scene in particular that I noticed where they were talking jargon. Mm. And then George C. Scott's character um, has to explain what he said earlier to the president um so okay uh, while we're while we're talking names and characters first off first thought peter sellers plays three separate characters in this movie and, and if you were able to job. catch if you're able to catch that without checking imdb you are a master sleuth because i had no idea until i checked imdb that peter sellers plays group captain lionel mandrake President Merkin Muffley and Doctor Strange Love. Okay, he plays three different people in this movie, and I had no idea. Um, so great performance from him. I love George C. Scott in this Buck movie. Buck Turgidson. Really Buck Turgidson. He is so good. Um, I I love his his comedy. Oh yeah. His physical acting, like when he falls down on the ground, or just yeah. his face. He's so. We're gonna see the board. They'll see the big board. Yeah. Um, I'm talking God, 10, I... 20 million dead tops. <laughs> I love him so much. He was so entertaining in this. Um, yeah, he was uh, really funny. God, he's hilarious. And leading into that is a discussion of the character names, which I never paid attention to before. Okay? Yeah. All right. First, President Merkin Muffley. Why did they do my mans like that? Merkin and Muffley. Thank you, Caleb. We didn't quite catch it the first time. General Buck Turgidson. Okay. (laughs) Colonel Bat Guano. (laughs) Major King Kong, I... Burpleson Air Force Base, <laughs> <It's> so <good. laughs> so, Lieutenant Lothar Zog. It's weird. Like, it's like they're funny, but they're not funny in any kind of replicable pattern. No, like a lot like... of them are very clearly supposed to be like sophomoric, um, 
uh, you know, pe- penis and vagina jokes. Yeah. But then, and then, then other ones are just ridiculous, like Burpleson, bat shit, yeah, bat guano. Um, <laughs> That's a lot. Which he was also hilarious. Yes. He, yeah. That character is in like the last third of the movie, and he's his his straightforward delivery. Are you some kind of prevert? The, the, you're gonna have to answer to the, the Coca Cola company. Yeah. Like I that, that's private property. Like, yeah. Try anything preverted in there. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if we mentioned it. We probably we, we alluded to it. The plot of this movie. He was sorry, Justin. Uh, no, just uh, while we're talking about uh, the cast and the names, super young James Earl Jones. Holy yes. shit. Uh, I did not catch that the first time uh, around. So I kind of, I, I did a spiel instead of talking about my experience with the movie earlier. Uh, for a movie I love this much, surprisingly, this was only my second time seeing it. Um, it's because I didn't catch it when it was streaming, and I've been holding out on a home release because I want the Criterion uh, Blu-ray that Caleb has, but it's always sold out when the 50% off sale is happening. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm waiting. It's uh, the only Criterion uh, Collection movie I own, and I got it on a 50% off sale that I'm pretty sure you told me about. So, thanks, buddy. <laughs> I, uh, I actually didn't realize that was James Earl Jones the first time. And then this time I was like, no one else sounds like that. Hold on. I yeah. pulled out IMDb. <laughs> it's just so funny like to hear he, him just being this random soldier, and then he comes in with a super deep commanding voice, and you're like, sir, yes, sir. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not yeah. the captain. Yeah. <laughs> the other kind of silly thing before we do our, our, our deep dive that I want to talk about is uh, these uh, two movies um, have been haunting me in a way over the last couple weeks. Um, oh. So I don't know if our audience knows, but we plan our episodes somewhat in advance. Uh, so Slightly. we had this on the schedule uh, before I got my new job. Uh, it's at a brewery. Not going to name it on the air, but I work at a brewery. Uh, and yeah. we have a beer. It's a red ale called Red Rum. Uh, my boss is a huge <laughs> Stanley Kubrick stan. Uh, then He's on my rewatch, yeah. <laughs> on my rewatch of The Simpsons, right before I watched these two movies, uh, I watched the season seven episode Sideshow Bob's Last Gleaming, which parodies Doctor Strangelove and Full Metal Jacket. And then I watched these two movies, so they have been like just around me for a month now. <laughs> <laughs> that tends to happen. What is that? The Streisand effect? If it's not, someone will let me know. It's, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. They've just been haunting me and that I wasn't sure how I was going to talk about them, but <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> and I, I always manage to get through it. Okay, Caleb. Plot. Yes. So the p- approximate plot of Dr. Strange Love is that a an air... Uh, what is he? A general? A general in the Air Force. I'm, I'm Jack D. That. Ripper. <laughs> yeah, Brigadier General You're Jack right, D. Jack D. Jack D. Jack. <laughs> I okay. Uh, I didn't catch that last yeah. time either because I'm a moron. Makes sense. Um, uh, is um, my man's a shooting blanks, and <laughs> so he he determines that this is a result of the communists fluoridating our water. Our precious Justin, you fluid. okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> our precious bodily bodily fluids um and the first time he says that is one of those examples of like you would expect a character reaction but then it's just a hard it just cut fucking cuts man um like and you're just left to be like 
What? Our precious bodily fluids. Yeah. Cut. <laughs> um, so he, he's firing blanks and he blames it on the communists fluoridating our water. And so he is able to enact a an attack plan that... So this is the Cold War and there's dozens of American planes carrying nukes all circling Russia within, and they're all within two hours of their target. He activates this plan that sends all of those planes to their target and the plot is basically everyone else freaking out and trying to figure out how to stop this before yeah this is the man who destroys the world like single-handedly because of his dick couldn't work good about to say not a heavy-handed uh uh, metaphor at all (laughs) no not at all no this movie is very intensely like tied up in the whole uh, uh, masculinity, man- masculinity and, and manhood and war and sexual oh, yeah. viability. Oh yeah, it's all there. I see this. I noticed it more this time, and of course because I'm me, that was I was like, ooh, now I'm interested because <laughs> because eyes uh, by a metaphor. Yeah, ooh, the phallic objects representing the damaged male psyche that can only become whole through violence. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. that's me. Yeah. This movie has a lot to say about toxic masculinity and the military-industrial complex, and it, it serves really it up in Looney Tunes-esque yucks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and right. that's that is the perfect combination of my shit. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting how it's not just um, it's not just ripper like you kind of see like that weird masculinity even in the the boardroom like what very near the end when they start talking about like going underground and like <laughs> oh fucking strange love getting a fucking well, hard on because obviously the, the ratio uh, of men to women would have to be somewhere in the range of 10 to 1 yeah of course <laughs> and he's getting like super horned up just like thinking about like oh i'm totally gonna be one of these super uh, peak male specimens. Obviously, we would make women. exceptions for politicians yeah, and yeah. members of oh, the military. Oh, no, of course, of course. Like, imagine telling any of the guys in that room, like, I know you just heard this whole plan, but you don't get to come. Sorry. <laughs> like, you're not uh, a good enough male specimen. Um, but, no, it's very present. Um, and, like, the, you know, if we want to get super into the phallic symbolism, the, like trying to keep his dick down and trying to keep his Hitler arm down, you know? Like, it's all there. It's not super subtle. <laughs> the, the scenes where he's fighting his <laughs> arm. He just he, wants he to do the, the hell so bad. God. God. Oh, God it's bless Peter so Sellers. <laughs> I'm laughing too hard. This, this is a podcast. You guys aren't watching any of this at the moment. You're just listening to me laugh at how funny this shit is. Just watch a clip of it and just, like, yeah it's it's intense um <laughs> so good yeah it's, it's a lot okay i, I so, don't know how much i'm gonna say about this movie other than god it's good the <laughs> the the story is kind of split in two Ugh. between it's well i guess there's three main stories i guess um so there's the general and the Air Force Base that he commands, and he's locked up in a room with uh, this British exchange general, um, <laughs> Captain. Mandrake. Um, and he's he, the, those scenes exist because uh, Ripper is like explaining his ideology and why he did it to Mandrake. Yeah. Then our, th- 
second story plotline is one of the planes that was given the go code to go bomb their target in Russia. Um, and we stay with them throughout. Um, and at a certain point, you know, the, the, the retract code is given and their ship has been damaged. And so they continue forward because they can't communicate with anyone. So then there's the third storyline where that's all the people in the war room who are trying to make sure that this does not happen. Okay, so it's it's split in that on the one hand, in like all the war room scenes, you're like, oh, we need to make this stop. This is bad. Yeah. The Russians <laughs> have a secret doomsday device that they were going to announce next week because the premiere loves a surprise party. <laughs> <laughs> And then we cut back to the plane where the boys are going to do their duty and they're going to get their job done. And you want to root for them because they're good boys and they're doing their job. Yeah, duty. right. It's like if... you're watching two separate movies and the movie like deliberately makes you have that cognitive dissonance. Like on the one hand, your like first inclination is to be like, yeah, our American boys are going to give it to the Ruskies. And then on the other hand, you're like, oh shit, we have to shoot them out of the sky before right. they achieve their mission. And, <laughs> and it's increasingly stressful because they continuously run into problems with completing their objective. First, they're, uh, they almost get shot down by a missile. Um, they manage to evade that. Then they start losing, uh, losing their fuel rapidly. So they can't make it to their target, and you're like, okay, thank God. And then they're like, oh, we can make it to this other target. And you're like, no, it's just, it's it's an endless cycle of, they're not going to make it. Yeah. And, oh God, they are going to make it. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because it's like, so out of those two, you know, the, the, the hawkish we have to destroy the Russian side does win, but it also means that the world is destroyed. So it's like, I wonder what that's saying about America's role in war. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Would you say you learned to stop worrying and love the bomb? Uh, I didn't live long enough to worry. <laughs> love or to worry. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it, it, it's funny in the way it kind of subverts that that narrative is like uh you actually don't want to root for the americans to win here because if they do yeah. literally everyone will die no it's interesting because of like the russians and the americans neither of them want this to happen which you know i guess was essentially true of the cold war um and good point like like they're working cold. together like to the point that the americans are like Right, yeah, to the point that the, they're like, you need to shoot. If you have to shoot down our planes, do so. Which, as Justin mentioned, leads me to one of some of the funniest scenes in the movie when the president is on the phone with the Russian premier, it but is, you can only yeah. hear the president's side of the conversation, and the Russian premier is shit face drunk. Yep, yep. it's hilarious. Yep. I <laughs> no, <laughs> the premier apparently starts complaining that the president never calls to just talk. <laughs> Of course also I like you. It has to be a satire of America and Russia's weird relationship around that time. Yeah. <laughs> like, just kiss and make up already. God. <laughs> yeah. The... <laughs> I also love how one of the more sensible guys in the movie is named fucking Merkin Muffley, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's President Merkin Muffley being, to you. Uh, yeah. He's capable yeah. of being just as sorry as you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
President Muffley. Oh, um, God. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah, so, so the entire point is just that everyone, no matter how grand or important they seem, is just a, a pathetic little person, you know, uh, in most cases desperately clawing for some uh, sense of importance or personal gratification or weird conspiracy theory, you know, like, it, it, especially, like, I especially love how, I mean, Caleb mentioned the thing about how it's a comedy that's not shot like a comedy. Like, <laughs> this, the shots of General Ripper, um, those, like, super from below shots. Oh, like, yeah, those are some great super shots. Super dramatic. I, I realized watching that shot, I was like, this doesn't feel like that weird of a shot to me, and yet I'm realizing I have not seen this kind of shot in a lot of movies. Like, it must be... I don't actually know this, but it must be kind of something that was used a lot in older movies, maybe war movies, but mm -hmm. very effective um, <laughs> in the way it's shot. Of course, of course, there's the phallic imagery because it's like this huge cigar just like digging out there, spewing something. Um, and like, <laughs> I mean, it's smoke, but you know, um, and it's shot from below. And it's funny because it's such a dramatic shot, and yet he's saying this ridiculous shit about, yeah, about, like, communists yeah. putting stuff in the water and, like, you know, our bodily fluids. You ever seen a communist drink water? Yeah. <laughs> what do those commies drink? Vodka? It takes a while for it to set in that this is a comedy. It's yeah. not apparent from the outset. Um, which is why this movie is fascinating to watch That's going in true. knowing nothing about it. Because yeah. I knew nothing about it before I watched it. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, it's slowly dawning on you that it is largely a comedy. Right. It gets more it's... and more ridiculous and you start to pick up on it. Like, the first few times you're like, uh, okay. But after a while you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, I see what's going on here. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember when you first start to get clued in about it because like the first couple it's, of scenes like on the plane are pretty normal. It's about the time when he when you're when talking those those talking. when he's when yeah. Ripper starts monologuing because it takes him a while to get to the ridiculous stuff. Um, right. At first, because he's, at first he like... sounds like just a dangerous conspiracy theorist, and yeah. then it's it's a little bit. It's like several minutes into a monologue before he drops anything of no, and you're like. Oh, this guy's just crazy. He's and, not hes and, not just racist or scared of the yeah. Russians. He's literally just blaming his impotence on... Well, yeah, interestingly, he actually... He mentions the bodily fluids thing, and it hard cuts, as we mentioned earlier. You don't actually get more information on his, I, I guess, ineptitudes until a little bit later. Like, in another scene with him, of course he goes off on this other grandiose monologue about, like... <laughs> Women want my life I essence, but I, I deny it to them, like, or something, and it's like, and it's like, oh, that's why you're not having sex, like, uh, so it's, I don't know, and then you, you kind of start to be like, okay, I, yeah, okay, I see I, uh, what the deal is, it all makes sense now. I love when Mandrake is like, when did you first become, when did you first formulate this thing? <laughs> He's like, when did you first become crazy? <laughs> I know, I love seeing um, Mandrake, actor's name, whatever his name is, his reactions to all of this. <laughs> he, he, 
I love his how he gets increasingly nervous. Like when he's sitting on the couch and Ripper comes and sits next next yeah, to him, and so he's just nervously fiddling with like a medal or a button on his jacket or something. Yep, yep. He's just like, oh, haha. is that so, Jack? Yes. <laughs> just nervous laughter. <laughs> and throughout. he's like constantly talking very quickly, trying to placate him and trying to like reason mm-hmm. with him. And it's funny, like you know, contrasting them too, because it's like. Uh, obviously, in a more traditional narrative, this would be, like, the super masculine, competent general with, like, the kind of effeminate, like, British guy. Like, whatever, like... <laughs> but here it's just like, oh, yeah, the American guy is just fucking insane. Like, and he's trying to get everyone killed. And and the what's-his-face's reactions are our reactions, more or less. <laughs> Not that it ends up mattering, because, you know, once again... At least my man succeeded in saving his bodily fluids briefly. <laughs> Until he spouted them all over the bathroom. Oh, Jesus um. Christ. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um. he did not go quietly into those bad bodily fluids. I so, mean, the man's, you, you, you gotta admit, he's nothing if not committed. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I don't know if I could stand up to torture man, Drake. <laughs> He's got a whole plan, like, oh my god. I, quick, just, just, sidebar here. <laughs> slim Pickens. <laughs> what? Uh, it's pronounced Slim Chickens. <laughs> no, I just, that's, that's gotta be a stage name. And yes. it sounds like the name of a character in this movie. Say that. It does. Slim Pickens does. plays Major King Kong. Um... <laughs> Uh, do, do you want do you want the magic ruin do you want his real name no i don't care okay <laughs> sure what is it he's been in other things uh, stephanie uh, i just said i don't want I the magic ruin what it is. pop that headphone out lewis burton lindley jr <laughs> that's a lot of names <laughs> <laughs> if caleb asks i'm not gonna tell him okay put the headphone in <laughs> it sounds very southern but so does slim pickens so Anyway, the magic is preserved, Caleb. Welcome back. Thanks. Mm. It's good to be back, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Anyways, what were you saying about Mr. Mr. Pickens? That was it. Literally just the fact that my man's name is Slim Pickens. <laughs> uh, and that's not the character's name. Mm-mm. So if, if for some reason you're still listening to this and haven't seen Dr. Strangelove yet, uh, the scene you've probably seen referenced the most in other media is mm. Slim Pickens' character riding the bomb... Giving a hearty yeah, <laughs> wave his audio cut out, out there. I know, Damn. That was too much for the audio. Damn. Yeah, no, that I yeah. Uh, why did my man decide to do that? He I had to I because the, the manual override. Sure. No, that was another example of things kept going wrong, but they did it anyway. So, like, first <laughs> they go through like five different things to to try and drop the bomb. Like, the switch doesn't work. Then the backup switch doesn't work. Then the backup power doesn't so, work. Then the manual chance? override Hell doesn't yeah, work. yeah, they got a chance. Or <laughs> <laughs> see Scott. Says, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> seeing him go from, like, super, oh, yeah, to, oh, God, in, like, a fraction of a second. Yep. 
No, see, that's the genius of it. It actually, like, forces you to root against, like, who you would normally be rooting for and to question, well, if I'm rooting against them in this situation where the world is going to be destroyed, then to think about, like, well, what's going to happen under the current circumstances? Could this not escalate to something like that? You know? So, <laughs> hmm. I gotta ask the big questions. Um, gosh, Okay. Anything else? I don't know if I have um, a ton more to say about this movie than Snap just quoting it. Yeah. One thing I was wondering was, so what was the function of, like, having Doctor Strange Love be a Nazi? So Peter Sellers could do a funny accent? I don't... Okay, no. In a movie like this, there is no way that that did not have narrative significance. Like, uh, what was the narrative significance of him being a surprise Nazi? I don't, yes. Narratively, I don't know. Uh, uh, but, however, it is pretty well known that we, as a country, took in a shit ton of na- Nazi scientists who did some very fucked up sketchy shit. So I feel like that was just Kubrick commenting on that did we i oh yes i'm kind of showing my ignorance here but i no, yes we hired plenty of nazi scientists to work at nasa amongst other places with how much we hated supposedly yes because we hated other countries more than we hated those individuals maybe that we wanted to get to the moon before russia so (laughs) oh well what could be more important than getting to the moon before russia Certainly not integrity. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, maybe that's the point then. But that being said, uh, one, uh, 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 Peter Sellers' voice is a strange cross between Dr. Scratch and Sniff from Animaniacs and Yoda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, and I also realized doing the, uh, hearing his voice, I was like, oh, that's definitely what... Uh, <laughs> What Rob Paulson is doing with Dr. Scratch and Sif from Animaniacs is he's putting a Absolutely. little bit of strange love in there. He's like the quintessential crazy German scientist. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Scratch and Sniff is an Animaniacs character. So did the Nazis win in the end? Because the Americans mm-hmm. and the Russians were so busy fighting each other, the Nazis actually ended up winning because both of both Americans and Russians were opposed to Nazis in well, World War II. The Nazis didn't win so much as some of them didn't get sentenced to life in prison, which could be considered That's, a win. I'm not talking about real life. I'm talking about Dr. Strange. You mean in the universe of Dr. Strange? Uh, yeah, no, I'm the entire that- world was destroyed. Well, what that is the ultimate end of being a Nazi is everything. Yeah, I was going to say dies, symbolically so the Nazis won I because guess. Dr. Dr. Strangelove is the one who built the machine. No. His, his reveal as a Nazi is like the last thing. Or he advised... He had something to do with the machine. The Russians are the ones who developed a doomsday machine. Dr. Strangelove advised for the Americans. They looked into building one and they decided not to. Okay, whatever. He was involved in some way. I don't know why I thought he built the machine. I think that would have been a better reveal. Anyway. I know I know more than Kubrick. <laughs> uh, but anyways... Uh, I don't know. He was involved in some way. I don't know. It seemed like... I don't have a full theory on this. I just think that the fact that he was revealed as a Nazi has to be has to be significant in some way, especially because it happens so near the end. For something to happen at such a climactic moment like that, it feels like there has to be a point to it. You know it's what I mean? yesterday's villain is today's ally. Um, like, I would mm, think... I'll, Maybe. Villains come and go like, you know, it was 
America and Russia, it still kind of is, but, like, not to the extent it was in the Cold War. I guess. You know, the Wheel of Time. I don't know. Just the way they held off on that reveal, and it was like, why even hold off on the reveal? He's already, like, the only German guy in the room. They're all calling him the Kraut. Like, what... Like, is it that big of a surprise if he turns out to be a Nazi? So why are you holding off on showing it to us? Like, I don't know. I'm still kind of trying to figure that one out. I I I feel that this just might be uh, 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 projecting, uh, but I feel like the minute Doctor Strangelove speaks, you can be like, "Oh yeah, he's a he's a Nazi." <laughs> yeah, especially when he starts talking about selection processes yeah. for the the preserve. Yes, he starts getting face. like giddy. Oh yeah, and- <laughs> he loves that eugenics man. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I'm still trying to figure out what the point of all that was, other than being funny, which I mean, uh, yeah, obviously it is. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Fuhr, I'm sorry. My <laughs> president. <laughs> the, the last line in this movie is him standing up out of his wheelchair and exclaiming, Mein Fuhrer, I can walk. And then everything explodes. Yeah, also, what was the point of that? <laughs> I don't know. I see that. I mean, I don't think I'm out of line for trying to figure out what the point is here. Uh, like, I'm wondering, and and uh, for a movie I love this much, I don't know too much about the behind the scenes. I'm wondering if like, uh, because it's in a scene where Turgeson and Strangelove are arguing their point of view. If Peter Sellers made an acting choice to like stand up to make his point, realize he fucked up, and was like <laughs> ad libbed that. Well, oh supposedly God. Peter Sellers loved ad libbing. Um, the last according to what I was reading movie. on on the IMDb page, he loved ad-libbing, and someone was positing that the reason this movie feels so different from a lot of other Kubrick films could be the fact that Peter Sellers forced Kubrick to work a little bit out of his rigid filmmaking style um, because of how much mm. he, you know, would, would just kind of go with the flow. Yeah. Um... Which is an interesting theory. But for such a pivotal moment, pivotal, not really, because nothing fucking changes. They all just explode. But for such a climactic moment, I guess, in the movie, I'm just, I feel like it would have to be more than just random improv. It feels too deliberate. Um, before we wrap up uh, uh, discussions of this movie, I do want to know if you guys have heard anything about how this film was originally supposed to end. No. Uh, I feel like I have, but I've forgotten the details. So okay. enlighten us. Uh, so <laughs> the end of the movie was originally supposed to be a metaphorical pie fight in the war room with the pies representing all of the missiles that are about to go off. And oh, it was going to end with a joke that when the president gets hit with a pie, everyone was going to react that someone tried to assassinate the president. This film uh, <laughs> came out shortly after the assassination of Kennedy so that's why they decided to go with just all of the bombs going oh, off with uh, uh, the song going. Uh, which I think, is, as much as I love a good pie fight, I think is Much more iconic ending. ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. But uh, that, that uh, ending is widely considered... Um, if the articles I read are correct, lost media, there's only a few like stills of it that you can find. Uh, but the clip itself is considered lost media. That's how oh, I interested to see the pie fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. The ending as it exists is... I don't know. It's just... It's a bunch of explosions. It's... I mean, Both it's... of these mo movies are tonally all over the place. This is not really an exception. So, it's just a bunch of explosions and, like, an old jazz song. I, I <laughs> didn't really see how that connected to the rest of the movie, but it, it was... I, I feel its like it's connected to a, a larger overarching theme of this movie, which is living under the Cold War was a hell of a thing. <laughs> well, it, it's also it's also with a nuclear war and just uh, the the idea of a doomsday machine. It's that it, how to how to word this without sounding like an idiot. Uh, the the abrupt the abruptness of it, I think, is very is very powerful. Because if, let's say, God forbid, you get a message that says, "Hey, nukes hitting in an hour," it's gonna feel like your life is ending abruptly. That I I, I think I I think it kind of works for the Just messages in the movie. Um, just a a silly. A silly line and then absolute destruction of everything. Uh, I think it sums up the movie. A, a cartoonish Nazi who was crippled seconds before standing up and saying, Mein Fuhrer, I can walk. And then bombs going off that ends the world is the perfect encapsulation of everything this movie is. <laughs> now I have anxiety again. I don't, <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> like a, let's talk about The Shining, a movie that doesn't make me nearly as anxious. <laughs> All right, good call. <laughs> I have nothing further to say, Justin. I think that was an excellent point. Yes, yes. <laughs> please never, please never say the words. Getting a text that say news will hit in an hour ever again. <laughs> All right, where do we live? Hawaii. <laughs> god. Yeah. Oh my god. I I know. Reading that story, like. I, that one made me feel sick just imagining being in that position. Like, I, I hate it. I, thanks. I, I hate it. Like, no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, that's fine. Um, okay. So after the break, we'll be talking about The Shining. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. We are back from the break, and it is time to talk about 1980. Mm -hmm. The Shining? Is it 1980? 1980. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it's got those big 70s vibes, but in such a way that I can tell, I guess, that it was right near the end of the 70s. So, came out in 80, in, in 80. That makes sense. Yep. Um, so, 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 I, that, first of all, it's interesting <laughs> to me that this is like the first 
like actual horror movie that Caleb has talked about on here and one of the first that he's seen like and it's for a Kubrick episode like I don't know I just find that kind of funny it's, like it, it's a beautiful combination of things happening right yeah. now <laughs> yeah yeah but both both of these movies are horrifying in their own way um so okay so experiences with the shining hmm this is my first time seeing it end of story I assume you have also not read the book. No, I have never touched a Stephen King book, much less read one. No, I neither, neither have I. Um, this is my second time seeing the movie in full. Um, I was never a big fan of this movie. I appreciated it more this time around. But it still doesn't quite click for me. Which I guess I specify in part because I know that it's super iconic and has a really devoted fan base to the point that they're like whole ass documentaries about it and everything. Um, and discussing it, I'm probably going to sound like a total Philistine. So I fully acknowledge that right off the bat. That I don't super get The Shining. Um, but I also feel that way about a lot of Stephen King's stuff. Like, I definitely appreciate what he's done for horror, but a lot of his stuff just doesn't click with me. I'm just like, I don't... I Okay. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Uh, like, <laughs> So this is my fourth or fifth time seeing The Shining. Okay. Um... My feelings on the movie are extremely complicated. Uh, <laughs> okay. We'll get into it as the discussion evolves. Um, but but Stephanie, to your point, and, and I guess this is a good time to bring all this up now. Um, if the film The Shining is not exactly a fair way to judge the works of Stephen King. Because Stephen you know, King that. himself yeah. uh, hates this movie. Uh, mm. And is Jesus. not ashamed to let you know why. Like You, you Did, can look up tons of interviews with him about it. Could you, by any chance, briefly say kind of what the gist of his problem with it is? Like, do you know? Uh, yes. Um, so... I haven't read the book myself, but I have read a ton of articles and talked to multiple people who have. Um, so I feel like I have a decent grasp on the differences. Uh, if anyone listening doesn't want book spoilers, I'm going to say go ahead and skip two minutes ahead <laughs> and pick up from there. Uh, but basically, um, the film completely ruins the novel character of Jack Torrance. Uh, in Stephen King's eyes, Jack Torrance is a monster in the film from the get-go. And in the book, he has more of an arc uh and instead of is that not what i said instead, is that not what i said <laughs> instead of jack uh kind of letting the hotel seduce him by things that his psyche wants which is what the movie implies jack is being uh unwillingly taken over by the hotel in the novel to the point that danny is actually able to break through to his father uh before he dies and have like a final farewell moment with him in the novel uh and well, jack sure wasn't jack is completely an irredeemable psychopath in the film 
Um, yeah. It's a little bit, it plays into the racist trope of the black man kind of has to die in the film because um, uh, Scatman Crothers' character, I'm blanking on his name right now, uh, survives in the novel. Um, there was a quote. Is and he, I, sorry, is he, is he black in the novel? Yes, yes. The N-word oh. is still in the novel. Uh, <laughs> um, so they, they kept that fun part, yes. but they didn't let him survive. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a quote, and I can't remember the whole thing, and I don't have it pulled up, but basically, um, Stephen King said that, uh, the book is hot, the, the film is cold. In the novel, the, he means that literally, the novel, um, ends with the hotel burning down and Jack Torrance dying in that fire, and, uh... The film ends with the Overlook surviving, Jack becoming a forever part of the Overlook, uh, and not having much of a character arc. And I and I and I think metaphorically, that really means that in the novel The Shining, Jack has an arc, some redeeming qualities. Like it, it's about a a man succumbing to something that he has no control over, uh, which there is a warmth to as far as as warm as horror stories like this goes. Mm-hmm. The well, film it more is like an actual story. The film is very bad things keep happening. Right. And that's it. It's it's a very cold and cynical look uh, and take on the story. So he meant that literally, uh, but I also think he meant that very very much yeah. in terms of tone uh, as well. That is really great to hear, and um, I hadn't heard that like. Uh, about Stephen King before uh, in regards to the movie because I know the movie is you know, pretty well regarded as far as uh, adaptation, uh, adaptations of Stephen King's work go, but um, and obviously Kubrick is well regarded as a director <laughs> for reasons that should be obvious. Um, but that's actually really validating to hear because that is kind of like, not, I haven't read the book, I didn't really know that that was an aspect of the book but that's kind of the heart of my problem with the movie is that like it feels like what is happening with Jack specifically like like there should be more of an arc to it I guess um I think the movie feels kind of emotionally hollow because it doesn't feel like there is as much of an arc as there should be like all the trappings are there for it like you know it's very much presenting us with this idea of like the possibility of a man going bad you know (laughs) that or rather (laughs) the groundwork is already very much laid like he has already like injured his son's arm in a drunken rage more or less like twice oh was it twice yeah uh, yeah um uh i'm blanking on everyone's name other than jack uh 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 wendy there we go uh wendy mentions that the arm incident happened um months ago and jack uh, says to the ghost bartender that it happened years ago implying that the abuse Hmm. happened twice oh i guess i I guess I thought that was like him like underplaying it, but but I suppose trying to what, distance himself from it. I yeah, I, I could understand. And maybe that his read. 
sense of time getting weird, but yours makes just as much sense. It wouldn't surprise me if it happened more than once. Anyway, yeah, that, right, like, the groundwork is definitely there, um, but it's just, like, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Jack Nicholson as an actor, don't get me wrong, but I, I just don't know if he is the right casting for this role. And I know that that sounds weird to say because he plays the scariness very well. But in a way, it's like he's less scary because he's more scary. Like, does that make sense? Well, it's like he he is so intense from the word oh, go. Right. That, like, there's, there's not as much escalation as it feels like there should be. I'm picturing if it started out with a much more... <laughs> Sorry, Jack. A uh, normal-looking guy, you know, who doesn't have eyebrows that go up at a 90-degree angle, and, like, who doesn't who doesn't ooze insincerity with every single line that he says. Like, this character, you don't believe a single thing he says, and you don't even believe that he believes it. Like, yeah. it's just, it, every single, like, from the, from the, from the word go, like, I, I'm imagining if this movie had a much more normal, approachable, maybe even likable, like, dad character, and then you start to see him unravel and start to get the hints about his dark past and start to see him become more and more terrifying, which I'm sure could be a pretty interesting challenge for an actor. Like, I don't... That would be so much more compelling to me and would honestly save this movie, like, uh, for me. would make me Would really have been a good role for John Goodman. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Um, sorry terrifying. Uh, if there's anyone who could do a spiral from like huggable dad to like terrifying guy chopping down the bathroom door with an axe, like. Uh, shout out to Cloverfield but, yeah. Lane. Um, I still need to watch that. But oh, yeah. So good. Uh, <laughs> and, and no. Um, yeah, and in what you are describing, uh, from what I understand, that is more in line uh, with the with the novel version of Jack. Um, I, God, I am so <laughs> torn on what to say at any given moment here, because I don't know how to talk about this movie in chunks. <laughs> I feel like everything I say about this movie needs to be explained by another way I feel about this movie. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. I'll, I'll do, I'll do a whole spiel at the end. Um, but for the sake of the podcast, let's, let's keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, uh. Okay, so Stephanie and Justin have been looking forward to me watching this movie. <laughs> well, just watching a scary movie. Because I don't watch horror movies. Right. And I don't generally watch Kubrick. <laughs> and Justin was very excited to, to learn what, uh, to hear about my reaction to this movie. And he's about to be very disappointed. Aww. Because my reaction to this movie is, it is exactly what I expected. <laughs> no more. Exactly no less. It is precisely what I expected okay, it to Caleb, be based okay, off of Caleb, my pre-existing knowledge. Caleb, like, were, were you were you scared? Not really. Ah, see, he can handle horror movies. I was slightly unsettled every like at a couple spots, but I was never. He can handle uh, horror movies. We're gonna make him watch them more. Yeah, yep. he can. Uh, uh, Caleb, uh, I, I I think you more have a problem with jump scares and oh, me too, and over the top gore. Well, but those are. The and by over the top, I, I don't mean like most in horror movies. I don't mean cartoony gore. I mean like gore. Uh, no, I don't like 
good shit either. But uh, but I love horror. I think what it is is Caleb doesn't enjoy the feeling of being scared. I do not. In horror movies, whereas I do. So it's like, I think he could watch a lot of horror movies as long as they weren't the particular things that scare him. We I just, just wouldn't enjoy them. Are. I could watch them. I just wouldn't enjoy them. Well, but the thing I... is, there are some horror movies that are good regardless of whether you're scared by them. And I say that a lot because I don't like when people judge a horror movie by whether or not it personally scares them. It's not just about that. Sometimes it's about other things. You all need to stop being so goddamn stupid. I really, I really wanna, I wanna hit the rewind button and go make Caleb watch <laughs> The Witch for that episode. <laughs> See, I feel like that one would unsettle him more than The Shining, but more just because that one is a lot more like intense from the very start like it's just like they they start coming and they don't stop coming also uh, compared to the shining the witch is very if you have any religious hang-ups or trauma at all uh the witch plays on that from scene one yeah whereas the shining is like well i guess if you have an alcohol problem and hurt your son i'm gonna stop talking (laughs) (laughs) um anyway my if you hate hotels. Essentially, my, my only other thought about this movie was um, many, many scenes, to me, boiled down to, and then this! Yeah. Like, suddenly, this thing! It does have a bit of, and then like, this happens. This might as well happen. Just, it's it feels very improv, like, yes, and? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that why there's so many big theories about The Shining that, like, fans of it have come up with? Because so much shit happens that is, like, what? Why? That. God damn it. <laughs> I, I love uh, hating talking about this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, the way that some of the scenes feel disjointed, uh, I, I both agree that, yes, it feels disjointed, uh, and I can see why people don't like that. But given the nature of the haunting uh, in this movie, how it's very cerebral and surreal, the disjointed scenes don't bother me. Because I'm like, yeah, we might as well cut to blood pouring out, out of an elevator. Makes as much sense as anything else in this movie. I guess, uh, yeah. And it, it doesn't yeah. take anything away from me, and the imagery is so good but i also understand why people have a problem my god yeah yeah (laughs) this movie breaks me i remember just a couple months ago i read an entire article about why the guy in a bear costume blowing the other guy thing is in there that was the scariest part of the movie was just the mask (laughs) on that bear costume That was the most unsettling part of the movie for me. The other dude that sits up, the look on his face is like, this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? (laughs) Anyway, Stephanie was saying. The entire article basically boiled down to, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, which God forgive me if I am, was Kubrick being like, wouldn't it be like kind of crazy if this happened? So basically in line with what you said, like he didn't have some grand theory behind it. It was just like, wouldn't it be like, wouldn't it add to the unsettling vibe if there was just somebody in a bear costume and like 
giving somebody else head? Like, why is that happening? You I, don't know, but you're scared, I bet. Like, <laughs> I really want to know. that. That's not a scene, surprisingly. You would think me, of all people, would have talked about the uh, furry dog uh, blowjob scene uh, with people who have read the novel, but I oh, haven't. Is it a dog costume? Is it a bear costume? I don't even... It's, it's bear dog. Bear dog. Dog bear. Uh, I want to know if that's in the novel or not. Because is that if that's just something that he plucked out of the novel out of context and just threw it in? That's beautiful. <laughs> I can't remember. It yeah that I don't I I'm that's the point where I'm like okay now we're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks but okay <laughs> like <laughs> um yeah it's I like the imagery because I like Kubrick imagery you know the. Mm-hmm. It, I like, I think it works very well for the tone, you know, of the story for, for what it's worth. Um, I think, you know, the slowness of it, the deliberateness of it, the tracking shots, you know, that the, the atmospheric quality, all of that is great for horror. And honestly, makes me wish that he did more horror because it, you know, he has a good approach for it, I think. Um, it's, uh... It's also interesting, like, aesthetically as a horror movie, because a lot of it takes place in just, like, I don't know if broad daylight is the right term, but take, there's a lot of light. It has a lot of warm colors, like, in the hotel. Um, you know, there's interesting stuff done with mirrors and, like, hallways. Right, it doesn't really um, rely on, like, scary things lurking in the shadows. Right. It's like, this shit is just here. Like, it's out in the open. Uh, it wants to be there seen. There aren't many jump scares, yeah. Uh, things you should look for in The Shining uh, to understand metaphor. <laughs> Mirrors, symmetry, and the color red. <laughs> mm. um, elaborate on that last one. What, what would you say is the significance of the color red? Uh, the color red... Um, okay. Other than murder. Uh, I mean, that that's really... If you want to boil it down to a soundbite, that's basically it. But um, the the bellhops, <laughs> one of which Jack makes fun of in the scene where he's uh, being introduced to the hotel, are wearing red. Uh, when Jack's descent They're into madness the starts, he starts wearing that red jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, when Danny is possessed by... Or, I say possessed, is Tony. speaking as... I'm sorry? Tony. Tony. Uh, he's wearing red pajamas. Um, the scene in the bathroom where the guy who hacked up his family previously, Grady, is telling Jack, uh, to kill his family, the whole bathroom is almost all red with a little gap of white, and that white represents the little bit of Jack's sanity and humanity that's still there. Um, the color red is insanely important, so, like, Jack starts wearing the basically a metaphorical version of the uniform for the people he was making fun of at the beginning he becomes part of the hotel he becomes hotel staff he starts wearing a red jacket red representing uh, a change of character um going from uh the innocent to the otherworldly and murderous mm. um it yeah just pay attention yeah. to the color red in that movie if you ever do a rewatch. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that wasn't blood coming out of the elevators. It was red rum. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Whoa. That's a lot of rum. I thought they took it all home. <laughs> That's a lot of rum. <laughs> <laughs> the rum was not gone. What? 
Um, yeah, um, hmm. Right, like, there was a lot of red. It was just... There were a couple other instances of, like, strong presence of color that I didn't understand as much. Like, the green bathroom. Like, that... I mean, green is, you know, the on the color wheel is the opposite of red and there was a whole lot of green in that bathroom yeah is it because that woman was murdered she was not a murderer yeah, i also didn't know <laughs> what the deal was with the woman it, like it, that was a whole scene there's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't like get any sort of resolution like after danny right. sees the girls in the hallway that one time he never yeah, sees the girls... them again there's the thing with the crazy old lady in the bathroom and then it's like i it's right Stuff and i don't even know who the lady was supposed to be there's she this whole thing up. with her right like it why you know why why did she go from being like oh she's skinny and young and he wants to bang her to oh no she's old and decrepit and now he doesn't want to bang sores. her I, yeah I, like, I think what was the point in that god <laughs> everything i say in this podcast is gonna be <laughs> Uh, 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 what is the word when something comes before something? Um, proceeding, leading into. Proceeded Here we go. By. Everything is going to be preceded by me whispering under my breath. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think that transformation, uh, from that character represented, uh, the hotel's seduction of jack and then when he gave into it the hotel was mocking him uh for giving into it and showing him the reality of what he is succumbing to yeah which is Um, terrifying (laughs) so you don't think that was meant to be one of the actual ghosts who lived there that was just supposed to be the hotel itself mocking him uh i think I think so because it seems like all of the ghosts in the hotel, um, the twins who are children, and uh, that woman, uh, notwithstanding, every ghost you see in the hotel is a staff member. Hmm. Um, like even the people at the party, the bartender, Grady, the people at the party, and the people in the room. Also, yeah, I guess, I guess. That makes sense. I but, don't. I don't get. But but the hi- I I will call them the highlighted ghosts. Yeah. Our staff members. Um, yeah. That woman uh, is kind of the outlier because it makes sense why the children wouldn't be represented as staff members and why Danny is the only one to experience the haunting from the children. It's because maybe they only go after other kids. And also, he has The Shining, so he can see yeah. more than, like, other people can, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It, right, it's just that, like, I'm sure there is a unifying theory for why all this stuff happens. It's just that, I don't know, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but, like, maybe it's possible that if it's so difficult for people who are watching it and earnestly trying to understand it to do so maybe you've overshot a little bit ah the nolan effect (laughs) oh is that what that's called 
I mean, I guess we could retroactively call it the Kubrick effect and apply it to Nolan's films. Well, but... it's, and I say that with extreme reservation because I know that audience members can be idiots and I'm not discounting myself from that. I think that a lot of times people don't get stuff in movies that shouldn't actually be that hard to get but and then confidently like state <laughs> that they don't get it and therefore it's bad but like i also am like i don't know but why <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so are you guys okay with me doing my whole spiel do a yes, spiel yeah. here. Do you do your spiel? Please do spiel okay. away. We need a spiel. We do. Okay. Uh, um, so I, I guess I'll start with this point. Uh, this movie is an example of two absolute geniuses and icons in their craft bumping heads and the visions being completely different. Stephen mm-hmm. King, a master of horror writing. Yes, he has a lot of hack books, but there's no denying that Stephen King uh his the best of stephen king's works are this popular for a reason they are that good Mm. um and stanley kubrick obviously one of the greatest tm uh (laughs) filmmakers of all time there's a reason why he studied in film schools and talked about to this day um but i don't think him adapting stephen king works in a synergistic way um and it's that's evidenced by stephen king's opinions of this film um you would think if you were a writer and stanley fucking kubrick was making your film you would be over the moon but when you are that good at your craft and you think Stanley Kubrick <laughs> fucked it up, you know there's a disconnect somewhere. Um, so is the filmmaking bad in this movie? Absolutely not. There is so much going on that I love. The yeah. film is shot beautifully. It You feel everything Kubrick wants you to feel with this story. But is that necessarily a positive? I don't know. <laughs> because this movie encapsulates hollowness and emptiness and darkness. And by darkness, I don't mean like uh, uh, literally as far as filmmaking. I mean darkness of the human condition. Uh, it, it captures that so incredibly well. That if that's all you're looking for in this movie, uh, this movie is firing on all cylinders. Good job. Mm. If you are looking for any sort of actual character development, actual uh, 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 complex emotions, I don't know that this film delivers. And that's why... That's why my feelings on this film are complicated, because is it doing everything that I think the filmmaker intended well? Absolutely. This movie is is talked about and studied and as popular as it is for a fucking reason. This movie is a beautiful work of art. But is it 
through the lens of Kubrick, an interesting story. Or let, let me rephrase that because it is interesting. Is it a captivating story? Mm. <laughs> I don't think so. So that's why my feelings on this movie are complicated because I am in both camps. I think this mm. is an absolute work of art. I think it is a beautifully made film. I I think it works for what it is trying to do. But it's also missing a human element to it and a narrative element to it that I think is kind of key in storytelling. Yeah. So I I this movie ruins my brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay, I yeah. I mean, I think technically is very it is very good. Like the visual Kubrickianness of it, I think is very good, but I would even go so far as to say I think that it it's not just that it's lacking a compelling emotional story, it's that it actually harms itself by lacking that and by making things so intensely unclear because it could be much more frightening and much more thought-provoking and much more compelling overall if it had those things. Like, it... Like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, when we get to the later scenes of Jack going crazy and chasing people with an axe, I'm just like, well, yeah. I've <laughs> been waiting. Tracks. Yeah, I've been waiting for this to happen for two hours because he seemed like someone who could have done this from, from day one. So I don't really feel that the hotel has really sucked him in and just fucking, like, contorted him, which is how I think you are supposed to feel, how the movie wants you to feel, and how the movie wants you to perceive things. Like, they want you to see this as a man's descent into madness and a man being swallowed up by his circumstances. And I just don't feel that. I just feel that he was a guy who went crazy and happened to be in a haunted hotel. <laughs> I... You know? Uh, I agree with you, but also... <laughs> I agree with you, but also... Uh, do you... Fuck. Uh, do you think the <laughs> film is trying to make a point on the dangers of of emptiness and disconnection? I mean, it is making points about uh, isolation. That's like uh, a huge thing in it. Jack doesn't really connect to how he is as a father, how he is as a husband, how he is as a person. I, I, there are two moments in this film that that you see him break, and that's when he's trying to justify his actions to the ghost bartender, and when he breaks down after having the dream about slaughtering uh, Wendy and Danny. Yeah. Um, but other than that, he just seems like a shell of a man going through the motions, and it feels intentional. That that's why. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie this movie kind of marinates in that feeling of just being completely disconnected as a human being and the dangers that could lead you to which yeah is is horrifying because i i don't know how many of our listeners struggle with, with mental illness sometimes i lay there not feeling like a person 
and uh uh the implications of this film are are terrifying Um, well yeah like i mean jack and danny are both coded as mentally ill like in mm. in different ways i mean coded honestly might be too light of a word like they they are pretty explicitly they're undiagnosed and no one and it was these 70s slash early 80s so no one was willing to talk about it and the minute when he mentions taking danny to a doctor is when uh jack loses his shit (laughs) yeah yeah right right and 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 so you know maybe like a lot of movies this one is about isolation and repression which there's a there a lot of a lot of works of art has been created around that because (laughs) art in some ways is like the the attempt to be the opposite of that i guess like when you create art you're in some ways like whether consciously or not reaching out to other people which is countering isolation you're in some ways attempting to express yourself which is the opposite of repression i mean it it's a it's an ongoing theme that we see for for a reason um and i think yeah like this could pretty arguably be about that and, and maybe in some ways about how not to to theorize too wildly, not that anyone's ever done that about The Shining, but um, but the uh, that you know things like mental illness and struggles with with repression and loneliness can be things that are passed down in families, and you know there's a reason that both Jack and Danny are both connected in a way to the hotel in a way that Wendy isn't, and she's having to to like struggle with. <laughs> like keeping the family together and with saving them because while they are both kind of descending into into this form of of madness um whether that's entirely the result of the hotel or not you know and and of course it manifests in different ways but i don't know i i do wish there was a little more connection drawn between Jack and Danny and and how their experiences are similar and different because I feel like the fact that they both are so strongly affected by the place you know obviously is significant but we're I don't know if we're shown a good enough comparison and contrast if that makes sense in the ways that they're connected like a lot of the ways that Danny's connection is used is just to like heighten the creepiness uh not to be overly dismissive or anything but I don't know. I was all. I also spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. I never really reached any solid conclusions. Uh, so I don't know if any answers to that are in the novel or film Doctor Sleep, but I have not read nor seen either. Oh uh, right, that movie just came out about that. I forget that that's a thing. It just our looks man, very Stephen Kingy in like a. <laughs> Like, okay, I don't, this looks like a mess. I don't know if I want to even touch this, but I, I heard that it was all right, so maybe I, I'll watch it at some point. I'm, I'm interested in the story. Yeah. Um, uh, quick thought um, on the character of Wendy. Uh, that's another thing uh, Stephen King had an issue with in the film, as he said that uh, Wendy, he feels like the film is misogynistic because Wendy, mm. uh, he, he said might as well be a wet dish rag reacting to things that's not an exact Ooh. quote that's me paraphrasing because in his novel after Wendy, all that time kubrick spent abusing shelly uh, yeah let, we're about to get into that yeah um <laughs> uh in the novel wendy is a full ass character uh mm. and in the film 
Yeah. Uh, when she he, reacts to things. It, she's much. very reactionary. Yeah. So. Uh, God damn it. Uh, my, <laughs> my thoughts on The Shining uh, can be summarized in that I think it is an absolutely beautiful painting. The issue with it is it's a two hour and 45 minute <laughs> moving painting. <laughs> oh, that could be said of a lot of Kubrick. Right? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. I've only seen uh, four. So, do I think this film is an absolute work of art uh, that hits and misses on some things? Yes. I think it hits more than it misses, but those misses are big misses. Um, <laughs> so, absolutely. This is an absolute work of art. It deserves all the praise, all the hype, all the acclaim that it's gotten. Was all that praise, hype, and acclaim worth the abuse mm. of Shelley Duvall? Mm. No. Yeah, I'm going to have to... No, 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 no. I and love t- Stanley Kubrick as a filmmaker, but Jesus fucking Christ, dude. What were you thinking? Do you know, like, I don't... I haven't really read into what, what all went down exactly, but do you know why he... Like, why her in particular, other than, you know, that she's a woman. But I don't know. I haven't even heard the same set of other actresses he's had in his movies. Like, like Me neither. This is definitely the most famous uh, case of it. And I don't, I don't know why. Like, like the, the story is um, that... He's such a perfectionist. He wanted the perfect performance. So he kept tormenting her to get that wonderful performance that she gives uh, during that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was just like pushing her and pushing her and pushing her to get there. But that's not how you work with your that's fucking actor. Acting or directing works. <laughs> or it's it's not how it needs to work. You know you what take I mean? The- if the actor isn't giving you what you want, take them aside. Have a conversation. Work it out like professionals. Don't make them do it an ungodly amount of times to the point that they're having an actual emotional breakdown. Oh, but you should I, suffer for yeah. your art. Fuck your whole no, life. You no. should suffer for your art. I know. When <laughs> when I hear about stuff like that, and, and this is not the only instance I've heard of this happening. It's just, you know, specific to, to Kubrick and the movie we're talking about. It's like, I always wonder if people know what acting is. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not trying to sound glib here. Like, I, I act, you know, I, like, my, my degree is in theater. I'm familiar with this, and I just want to, like, remind people. And I, I have also directed. I've also been involved in theater in a lot of different ways. Like, I've seen the different sides of this, and I just want to know if, like, people are aware <laughs> that, that, that you, that actors, that that's not how directing and acting has to work. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> What's that line from Community? What the the work of an actor is to to put that pain, to bring that pain to the surface, and also, you know, pretending to be other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. That's like whenever I hear people glorifying, like. Well, I say method acting. It's actually what people think is method acting because um, they haven't studied actual method acting, so they don't know what that actually means. Like, um, 
but when people think of being method as like, oh, you have to like be in character all the time. You have to like really feel every single thing. And it's just like, well, some actors choose to do that. And, you know, like, sure, actors are kind of kooky, whatever, like sometimes. But but you can't expect that of actors because there are a lot of other ways to act. And if you're a director and you don't know how to get a good performance out of someone, like, without abusing them, then maybe you just need a different actor or a different director. Uh, suffering for your art is... is- Part and parcel with being an artist. That just means you have to suffer with living in the fucking headspace and the financial strife that comes with being an artist. Right, there's enough, That's what enough that means. suffering without inflicting it. Uh, uh, suffering for your art does not mean dishing out or taking fucking abuse. <laughs> I know. I don't understand that at all. It's... I, I, no. Stanley, my man. Stanley. Kubi. Kubi. you are you are wonderful one of the best to ever play the game but my god was this mishandled i know jesus fucking christ right and it's just like and for the role too it's like i don't want to diminish shelly duvall's work at all but kind of like stephen king said she doesn't have that much to do other than just be like nervous and scared and like sad occasionally and just reactive to what a bunch of male characters are doing like the you know it was it worth it i don't know <laughs> the next movie shelly duvall uh made after this was popeye with robin williams and i would put money <laughs> on the idea that that was a better set for her she had a better time being olive oil next to robert williams papa (laughs) good for her i'm sure she did being windy torrance i'm sure that was a nice break yeah i after this shit i don't even yeah i don't know (laughs) that poor woman god yeah it's I, i don't even know what's our takeaway here um uh, don't don't murder people and but also don't be mean to people you know don't st- <laughs> don't spend five months in a haunted hotel if your mental fortitude is already questionable as yeah, is yeah right yeah that's, that's my takeaway. that's maybe yeah maybe not a haunted hotel well okay but he didn't know it was haunted he just knew that some murders happened there to be fair but he also didn't really seem concerned about that so i don't know he probably wouldn't have been concerned about haunted either, but uh, yeah, but maybe the moral is more like uh, seek to know yourself and the problems that you have, and seek to not, you know, uh, enact those on other people. Take them out on your children or your wife or your actors. <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, final takeaways. Uh. Movie, beautiful work of art. Doesn't work in every capacity that it should, but still a beautiful work of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, quick Makes note. Makes me want to go to Colorado. Uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Yes, speaking of which, quick note. Uh, mm-hmm. The Stanley Hotel, um, of which is the inspiration for The Overlook. It's where Stephen King was staying uh, when he got the idea for The Shining. Stanley Hotel in Colorado. One of my favorite bands of all time, Murder by Death, uh, plays a uh, three-night show there once a year. Everyone's supposed to, like, dress up in black tie. They take a picture, like, at the end of the film, like, where everyone's in black tie. 
blah, blah, blah. And I really want to go. So any listeners out there uh, who are in or around Colorado, look for me. Hopefully, uh, next time they do that, just look up Murder by Death tour dates. COVID kind of fucked up their schedule. It's usually in January, but I don't know. Uh, I'm going to try to be there next time. So if you oh, see me yeah. and you recognize me, uh, please don't say hi. Me. We'll drink bourbon and sing drunkenly to the top of our lungs. <laughs> <laughs> Man, now I kind of wish I was going. I don't. <laughs> I'll go to the cavern show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to stay in a haunted hotel at least once. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, the rumors that the Stanley was haunted didn't happen until after The Shining came of out, course. which conveniently. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I don't know. Can we create our own ghosts when we imagine them? Can uh, we create them by the power of our own uh, creation? <laughs> if you want to uh, hear us talk about tulpas, uh, which oh, are psychically boy. created ghosts, check out our sister show, I Hope You Exist. Oh, ghost is inaccurate, Justin. Even I know that. Come on. That's the best way to explain it to an audience who doesn't know. <laughs> supernatural, spiritual, otherworldly entities. That you create Psychic by the power construct. of positive thinking. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's better. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Visualize your ghost. <laughs> Settle for nothing less than your ghost now, in this life. Visualize punching it in the face. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is how you overcome your problems. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. Uh, my name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boob. My name's Justin. You can find me on most social media at Blame It on Butler, and you can find this show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. And we will see you guys next week for our last episode of Autour April. Good night, everybody. Good night. Love ya. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.